2: Kidding me? You are looking live. Winning Cures Everything. Now for your hosts, Gary and Chris.
3: Welcome in, Winning Cures Everything. It is the Thursday, June 16th edition of the show. I'm your host, Gary Seekers. Of course, you can follow me on Twitter at GaryWCE. Our buddy, our companion, Chris, is out with an injury currently, so I will be running this ship for a little bit. I don't know how long. It may just be today, uh, but we'll see. We will have a show on Monday. I know we did not this past Monday, but we will have one coming up on Monday, and, uh, and we will figure it all out. We'll figure it all out from there. With that said, we're going to dive into today's topics. Let's go on and start off. I want you guys to know that I have made... My official picks for who will win the College World Series. And let's go on and dive into it. Gentlemen, there are eight. Well, gentlemen and ladies. There are ladies, of course, that listen to this show. But, uh, but yes, there are eight teams in the College World Series, just like every year in Omaha. And I have three that I have put money on. And obviously not much. But if any of them wins, I win a payout. And I just put a little bit of pizza money on it, nothing crazy, but I have just a touch of money on Stanford at plus four hundred, Texas at plus four hundred. Obviously, those two are the favorites here, and then I took a flyer on Ole Miss at plus eight hundred. Ole Miss is five and zero in the NCAA tournament in baseball right now. They were the number one team in the country at one point way back when. They've got a really good roster. The bats are doing well right now. They have finally figured out their pitching situation. I, I'm going to take a flyer on Ole Miss at plus eight hundred. I mean, that's eight to one, not bad. That's not bad at all. Uh, even if you were to put down something as silly as uh, it's three dollars on this uh, on Ole Miss, uh, you could cash twenty-seven bucks profit. So, I mean, at that point, you put three on Stanford, three on Texas, three on Ole Miss, something like that, five even. Uh, you would stand to make money if Ole Miss, Texas, or Stanford were to win. So. Yeah, I took a took a shot on three of them. We'll see how it all goes. Uh, gonna be a lot of fun to watch baseball starting on Friday night. Of course, Auburn, Texas A and M, uh, Oklahoma as well in there. So we've got some uh, some fun teams. Arkansas don't want to leave out the Hogs. You guys know how that is. Let's uh, let's go on and dive into football talk. With that said, the Big Twelve is bringing in Houston, Cincinnati, UCF and BYU in 2023. Now, BYU was already set to join, so that is not that big of a deal. But the other three, while it was hinted at for quite some time, the other three, it's a really big deal. It's a huge deal that they will be joining the conference this early because Texas and Oklahoma are not leaving yet. And that creates a massive logjam for their scheduling it for the next two years, in 2023, 2024. I would assume 2025 is when Oklahoma and Texas will be coming over unless they find some way to get out of paying that massive, massive buyout that they are going to be forced to pay. I think it's $80 million per school. They seem comfortable with just waiting it out, and we'll see what happens there, but the scheduling is going to be kind of crazy. Uh, Terry Moji here, and I hope I say that right, Uh, He is UCF's AD Athletic Director, and he has already said that they will have four home games and five away games in the 2023 season, which means that the Big 12 is going to be playing nine conference games just as they always have. I would kind of expect that to maybe drop back down to eight. Uh, If we don't do something with the playoff, I would imagine we will see more conferences moving back to eight as opposed to moving up to nine. But again, we'll see what happens with it, especially if you're not going to have divisions. That's going to be the interesting thing. And it all depends on whether or not the CFP ends up expanding. But I am curious, what is going to end up happening um, with the scheduling? Are they going to give UCF and BYU, etc., are they going to give them Texas home games right off the bat? Like, are the Longhorns going to have to move Uh, or not move, are they going to have to go on the road to these new places? Or will they give those home games to the ones that have stayed in the conference? The ones that maybe you could say deserve it? Or do you want to build these new brands? Which do you want to do here? And I'm not totally certain. Uh, This is going to be interesting, right? Because anytime Texas or Oklahoma comes to your city, especially for brands like that, Houston, UCF. Could you imagine a Texas game in Houston? I mean, Longhorn Boosters would be livid that they have to go through this. But likely it will only be for one season, so we shall see. But, whew, that uh, that is something else. I mean, it is going to be a crazy, crazy scheduling dynamic that they have created for themselves in the Big 12. Now... While that is interesting with Cincy and BYU and whatnot, it does leave openings elsewhere. So, why don't we go ahead and move into that side of it. The AAC has announced that starting in 2023, they are going to go ahead and bring in theirs. As you can see on the graphic on the screen here, UAB, Charlotte, FAU, North Texas, Rice, and UTSA. So, all three of the Texas schools... The Florida School in FAU, Charlotte in North Carolina, and UAB in Birmingham, which is the biggest college football market in the country, they will be officially joining the American Athletic Conference on July 1st of 2023, which means, again, scheduling dynamic going to be a little bit crazy because you are now going from where you have 11 teams in the AAC. You will be bumping that up to 14. So... Yeah, it's going to be a little crazy to start out with. They have not announced whether or not they're going to do divisions or if they're just going to go divisionless with 14 teams and try and make it work that way. Uh, the AEC has has said nothing so far as I understand. Uh, but this is I mean, this is going to be a lot of fun. I, I will say that. Uh, the biggest thing is that they're going to have a massive presence across this country. Right, The AAC is going to have a ton of big-time markets. Now, what does that necessarily mean? I don't know. I think the Sun Belt has a better product as far as football goes. Uh, but this is big for basketball. I mean, huge for basketball. Think about Andy Kennedy and UAB and what they will be doing. They will no longer be in a one-bid league. And I say that uh, with my fingers crossed a little bit because the AAC most recently has only been like a two- or 3 bid league at best. You did have Memphis and Houston make it this year, but Houston is moving on. Cincinnati has not been that great as of late. Uh, You know, after that, UCF, I mean, made it a few years ago. I, I don't know what to make of it totally, but I do know that the scheduling is going to be crazy, and it is official. They will be joining in 2023, and I'm excited about it. I'm excited to see Memphis and UAB. I'm excited to see North Texas against SMU. I'm excited to see uh, UTSA going up against some of these other schools, right? Like, this is going to be fun. Tulane uh, facing off against maybe FAU, something like that. I, I think this could be great. I think this could be a really, really fun league, and we'll see exactly what the AAC does and whether or not it actually helps these schools that are joining right off the bat. We'll move on. We got one more quick topic to hit before we jump into our... Previews for the day. And we are going to talk about the situation at texas a and m Now, A&M. I'm going to pull that up on the graphic here. Good gracious. Um, open records request from ON3. This was a few days ago that this actually came out. But Texas A&M officials asked the SEC to consider suspending and fining Nick Saban. Now, this is incredibly interesting because... The Texas A&M University president, M. Catherine Banks, and Ross Bjork, and everybody here that listens to this, or at least has for a while, knows my thoughts on Ross Bjork. They told the SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey that the conference should consider suspending and fining Saban for his comments. It, I don't know why you would go this far, right? I, I don't really know. They didn't do this when it came to Lane Kiffen. Uh, I guess, insinuating that Texas A&M was paying players back in February. They did not do that. But in this situation, uh, they wrote, we write to express Texas A&M University's disappointment and outrage at the recent statements made by Alabama University, (laughs) Uh, head football coach Nick Saban, that A&M bought every player on their team, made a deal for name, image, likeness. Bjork and Banks' email to Sankey stated, Coach Saban's statement was a blatant violation of SEC bylaws, regarding sportsmanship. More significantly, without citing any facts to support his statement, Coach Saban is accusing every single player in Texas A&M's recruiting class and current football team of violating NCAA NIO guidelines and Texas state law. Now, it keeps going. Uh, it says that the statement is false beneath the dignity of the SEC, as if we cared about dignity in this uh, in this conference. Um And it's corrosive to the fabric of sportsmanship in college football as a whole, and especially within the SEC. We expect the league to take a strong public action against Coach Saban and the University of Alabama. See, they got the name right that time. Uh, To demonstrate that such unprofessionalism and disrespect for Texas A&M student-athletes, coaches, and the university as a whole will not be tolerated. A public apology from Coach Saban to Coach Fisher. Aggie football and A&M is a good starting point. But the league should also consider... Monetary and participation penalties against Coach Saban. Now, at that same instance when they sent that email, Greg Sankey was he was traveling from New York to Birmingham that day. And Sankey told Fisher on the phone. He said, uh the press conference that Jimbo Fisher was going to hold should not violate the same sportsmanship policy cited below. And this was before the actual press conference went down. And yet you remember exactly what happened. It says in the article all the different things that uh, that Fisher said about Saban. Maybe somebody should have slapped him. Uh, it's the second time we've had to do this with grown men who don't get their way and want to act up and throw a fit. Uh, Some people think they're God. Go dig into how God did his deal. You may find out about a lot of things you don't want to know, et, et cetera, et cetera. Obviously, they were both reprimanded. We've been talking about this for quite some time. But the fact that Ross Bjork and that school president, Banks, believed that it was a good idea to reach out to the commissioner of the SEC to try and fine and suspend another head coach just lets me know what I have known forever about Texas A&M. And that is, that fan base wants somebody that's going to kowtow to them. They don't care how it looks, dignity be damned, with everything else going on in college football. They, they don't care what it looks like from a public perception. They want somebody that they think is going to fight for them. And Ross Bjork, who, if anybody paid attention to what he did at Ole Miss, is always behind the eight ball. On good ideas. This was a terrible idea. This is stupid. Because if your coach ever says anything out of line, there are gonna be people that recommend that he be suspended. And then and that'll be just fans and whatnot, because you won't ever get this from another head coach. Like no coach is gonna ask for another coach to be suspended or fined over something that they say about your school. It's just stupid. Just dumb. So yes, Texas A and M continues on. And, my God, in the offseason, offseason, uh, as, as Josh Pate would want us to, to do, mark out the O, uh, this would be, you know, something that we normally wouldn't even discuss. But, my gosh, did they just continue on with this? They just continue on. All right, uh, let's go on and hit some ads, and then we'll be back with our CUSA Part 1 previews for 2022. Let's take a break from the show for just a minute to give you some info on things you should know about. Visit winningcureseverything.com to find everything you need to know about us, including full shows in video or podcast form, our gambling picks, our store, the gear we use, and more. Subscribe to us on YouTube to get not only the full shows, but individual segments along with other goodies as well. We're over 5,600 subscribers right now, and our goal by the end of football season is 7,500. If you haven't already, subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever's your favorite podcast app. And if your app allows it, leave a five-star written review. Visit the Winning Cures Everything web store to get all kinds of football shirts, hats, hoodies, coffee mugs, and more. You can visit winningcureseverything.com slash store and see what all we've added. All right, we move into Conference USA Part 1 here, and we are going to start from the bottom and reach our way back up to the top. So today, we've got these six teams that performed, I'll say, the worst. Um, Some of them definitely were the worst. But we'll go ahead and start with those. Conference USA Part 1, because there are no divisions as of right now, Florida International. We will pull it up on the screen here. Florida International went 1-11 and last year. Butch Davis was, uh, he resigned or retired or was let go or whatever uh, pretty quickly last year. Went 1-11, uh, went 0-8 in the conference. Their postgame win expectancy said that they should have been a 2-10 and team instead of a 1-11, but regardless, they were still bad at pretty much every facet of the game. If you look at what they're losing, that's even scarier. Now they do bring in new head coach Mike McIntyre. Uh, they lost Miles Frazier, uh big time transfer offensive lineman to LSU. They lost their quarterback, Max Bortenschlager. Uh the running back, Devontae Price, the safety, Richard Dames. Like they had some good pieces here. Uh Dante Keyes transferred out. The left guard, uh, Sion Final transferred over to Purdue. Uh, you know, they've got they had some guys there, and they weren't able to do anything with it. Now, Looking at what they did just overall... By the way, their returning productions number 120 in the country. That's not good, but maybe it doesn't matter with a new coach coming in. Who knows? On top of that, uh, you look at what they did offensively and defensively. PPA per drive was number 113 on offense, number 125 on defense. They couldn't stop a nosebleed last year. It was awful. And then on top of that, you couldn't keep up with anybody because the offense couldn't score. Um, here's what to know about The offense. Big play receivers in Chambers and St. Felix, but who is going to get on the ball? We're trying to figure that out. I would imagine it's going to be the Duke transfer, uh, Gunnar Holmberg. But is he good enough to come in and improve that offense? Well, uh, obviously, this is a wait-and-see situation here. All five offensive linemen uh, that are coming back had at least 100 snaps last year, so they did get some experience. But the right tackle, Hudson, is the hoss here. Uh, You've only got 280 returning running back snaps and... And all the guys that are that have experience are small. So I don't know what McIntyre is going to do with this offense. They may have to go pass happy. I'm not sure. You're not going to get a lot of pass blocking from those ones. So we'll see, though. We'll see. Um, here's what to know about the defense. McIntyre has rebuilt teams, uh, especially at Colorado and San Jose State, with defense. But, my Goodness, there's a lot of work to do here. Uh, roster strength, they're number 109 in the country out of 130. That's definitely better than last player. Sorry, I guess it's 131 now that James Madison has been added. But uh, this is this is going to be a rough rebuild. Uh, they've got very little experience at linebacker. Uh, you probably should watch the transfer uh, manual. Uh, six secondary players had 219-plus snaps last year. Three other guys also got snaps. So they have got some experience in the secondary. But I don't know what that necessarily means because they were number 124 in defensive pass success rate last year. Just just not good. Defensive line could improve based on experience, but at this point, anything over last year should be an improvement. I mean, it, it doesn't get much worse than 125 in predicted points added per drive. I mean, that's just bad. Just bad. Uh, keys to the season here, uh, Mike McIntyre, he's built up bad programs before. Uh, he, But the issue here, of course, is that he has been good with good ADs and administrations that have been behind the football program. I don't know that he's got that at Florida International. I'm just not sure. Um, FIU, I mean, this roster is going to need to be rebuilt. The question is, can it be rebuilt? I'm not sure. You know, early on in the Butch Davis era, they looked like a pretty good team. I think they won nine games one year. Like, it looked like they had that thing rolling. And... They never invested in it. They never put anything into it, and, I mean, it just fell away. Like, it, the question here, is the administration going to work with McIntyre, or is this just, you know, just another program? I mean, we'll have to see. We will have to see. Uh, little talent and little experience does not exactly project a good season. you got to clean up the turnovers from last year. They were number 128 in turnover margin. You keep beating yourself, that's going to kill you every time. Um, they need to improve success rate at, at every facet of the game. Uh, number 105 in rushing success rate on offense 119 in passing success rate and then on defense number 122 and number 124 in those areas my my record here is three and nine so it's an improvement over last year, but a lot of that has to do with the fact that they play Bryant, Yukon and New Mexico State because I don't expect a whole lot out of them either and I think that this is a slightly better roster. Than New Mexico State and Yukon. So three and nine, oh and eight in the conference again. The projected SP plus record is four and eight. I'm gonna go under that. I just I, I don't see it. I don't see it at all. This does not look like a, a good team. I will I will say that. It does not look like a good team. We will move on from there. Of course, write down my times here. Da, da, da. The Louisiana Tech Bulldogs. We're going to start that up. They've got a brand-new coach as well. Sonny Cumbie comes in, and post-game win expectancy last year should have been a 4-8 and eight team. They ended up 3-9. and nine. This was a team that had some close calls early with some pretty decent teams. Let's talk about what they lost. Bub Means, the wide receivers, headed over to uh, Pittsburgh. Austin Kendall is gone. Uh, Marcus Williams, the running back, is out. Linebacker Trey Baldwin, cornerback Baylin Buchanan, uh, overall, this team was not—they weren't putrid. They were better than three and nine, I thought. But, eh, I mean, we'll see. Number one thirteen in returning production—that is not great. Uh, defense, though, does return seventy-six. Uh, sorry, sixty percent. Uh, they're number seventy-six in the country in that. So, uh, looking at the offense, the new co-offensive coordinators Scott Parr and uh, and Jake Brown. Jake Brown was an assistant with Sonny Cumbie at Texas Tech recently, and Scott Parr was the head coach at Navarro College. Both of these guys, I would imagine, will be as aggressive as Cumbie is. Uh, They like to throw the ball around. They like to play fast. Uh, The offensive line looks pretty strong. The wide receivers, Smoke Harris, Trey Harris, and the LSU transfer, Devontae Lee, look like they're going to fit Cumbie's offense really quickly. Uh, The question at quarterback, of course, does Downing or McNeil start? Uh, Who knows? I I think Downing is probably going to be the guy because he knows Cumbie's offense already. He came with him from Texas Tech. Uh, Rushing success was putrid last year, number 115 in rushing success rate. Um, But when you look at the running back, Keon Henry Brooks, he could pop this year. He certainly could be good. On defense, new DC is Scott Power. He was the DC at Stephen F. Austin. Uh, They were number one in the WAC in FCS in scoring defense, in total defense, in interceptions, in da 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 He likes to create havoc. He's uh, They're incredibly aggressive. That's going to be a theme for today's show, I feel like. Uh, they have to replace eight guys with 220-plus snaps. But uh, the aggressive defense there, remember Stephen F. Austin last year, had 105 tackles for loss. They had 48-and-a-half sacks. Uh, it His style, his scheme should fit the younger guys that they got, like the defensive end, Clark, the linebacker, Grubbs there, Defense is stronger than the offense here. um, But they were not very efficient last year, uh, especially against the pass. They were number 109 in passing success rate allowed. So that was definitely not good. They do have four guys in the secondary that have, you know, big-time experience. The question is, how good are they? Just because you return players doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to get better. Uh, The top players here, uh, we talked about the wide receivers. uh, Smoke Harris, you know, I brought in Devontae Lee uh, as one of my top players here. Safety BJ Williams, uh, the linebacker Tyler Grubbs, um, defensive end Deshaun Hall. Like, those guys are going to be really, really good. Uh, keys to the season. Is this an all or nothing team? Like, they were really undisciplined last year. They went two and five in one score games, uh, and that included one score losses to Mississippi State, SMU, and NC State. They lost by one to Mississippi State. They lost by two on a last second Hail Mary, uh, which how about this? A really long pass, not a Hail Mary, uh, to SMU. And then NC State, they only lost about a touchdown. Uh, the transfer quarterback Downing at Texas Tech, like he, he knows Cumbie's offense. The three wide receivers could all be big playmakers. It's super aggressive on offense and super aggressive on defense. The, this team is going to be a lot of fun to watch every single weekend. But when you look at overall roster strength, et cetera, uh, they are number 109 in roster strength. Just to put that in, you know, in the same perspective with uh, with Florida International. FIU is number 108. Like, Louisiana Tech's roster has has dropped significantly. Uh, looking at the schedule, I mean, I've got them at 4-8. and eight. Maybe I see them at 5-7. and seven. I don't think this is a bowl team, but they could certainly sneak up and beat some teams very early on, for sure. They play at Missouri they play Stephen F. Austin, they got at Clemson, and then at South Alabama before their bye week, which is the first weekend in October. They just got a rough run of it when it comes to uh, the Conference USA schedule. You know, obviously, probably going to lose to Missouri, probably going to lose to Clemson, and I've got them losing at South Alabama. On top of that, at UTEP, I don't think, is a gimme at all. I think UTEP's pretty good this year. We'll talk about them here in just a minute. Uh, after that, at North Texas... Like, I've got a, a win over Rice, FIU, and Middle Tennessee. But at UTSA, at Charlotte, and UAB to close out, this is rough. So, I've got them at 4-8. and eight. Uh, don't feel great about it. They could definitely be 5-7. and seven. Maybe, maybe Sonny Cumbie finds a way to get this team bowling early. But I don't see it to start off with. I'll say that. I don't see it. So, from there, we'll move on to the Rice Owls. I'll write my time down here. Rice last year. Woo. Mike Bloomgren, what are you doing? What are you doing? This was uh, this was rough. Four and eight last year. Uh, postgame win expectancy said they should have been five and seven, but they were three and nine against the spread. And when you look at some of these numbers, I mean, defense I kind of thought was supposed to be their thing, defense and running the football, and they couldn't do either. Uh, we'll we'll skip over the big losses here because there are quite a few of them they are number 74 in returning production but that's number 102 on offense and number 37 on defense so you're bringing back a bunch of players on defense maybe they're going to get better but we'll see we'll start off with the offense uh toyasa sopo is the offensive coordinator he spent 12 years in the pac 12 uh he joined riots in 2021 and it didn't go well uh the offense hasn't really been good at any point. Under Bloomgren, And a lot of the potential playmakers that they've got all transferred out. And that's three wide receivers, a running back, tight end, and two offensive linemen. Uh, at quarterback, is Wiley Green as good as Jake Constantine? I don't know that. We'll see. Um, if he's the same, this team is in a lot of trouble. I know that. I don't know the pass success rate can maintain number 32 in the country. Uh, they were very successful throwing the football last year. Uh, the issue is you know they they didn't do a whole lot with it they they didn't score a ton of points uh, as far as the defense brian smith has been the dc there since 2018 and last year is the first year that it really just dropped off because they had kind of they had kind of been climbing uh and then they they completely fell apart last year uh as a matter of fact i've got a note here defense has been a strong suit finishing 54th in sp plus in 2020 they crashed to number 123 last year if you look at the ppa per drive they were number 110 so, SP Plus is Bill Conley's deal. We've talked about it on the show before. But that's uh, basically defensive efficiency, right? Uh, the cornerback and defensive tackle spots have studs. But where are the playmakers at defensive end and linebacker? I I don't see where those guys are. Uh, Gabe Taylor should be good at safety. Uh, outside of that, like, the secondary, even with experience, looks weak. Like, this is not a very good roster. Uh, roster strength here, by the way, number 119, courtesy of our guys over at CFB Winning Edge. Uh, the top players this year, I mean, I brought up Gabe Taylor, but, you know, we, you've got the center or right guard, the offensive lineman, Shea Baker. you got wide receiver Sam Crawford coming in. And he could certainly be good. I just, I don't feel good about this team. Uh, no real staff changes. You only got seven incoming transfers, and I don't know that any of them are dynamite, other than maybe Crawford. Um, You got 12 outgoing transfers that looked like they had been built up and developed, and then they just decided to leave. Simple fundamentals here were bad. Number 85 in turnover margin, number 110 in penalties per game. Uh, Those need to be cleaned up. Uh, This could be really tough, especially with underclassmen. On offense, like, the offense has always leaned on running the ball. Like, I I brought up how good they were passing the ball, and yet they only threw it 42% of the time in 2021. Uh, The wrestling success rate again, number 116. How how do you ever get that bad if you are going to run the football 58% of the time? I, this, this kind of stuff doesn't make sense. Uh, as far as defense, was last year an aberration? Or was this the start of a decline that maybe could find Bloomgren looking for a new job? You know, moving into the AAC next year, do you want to continue on with a sixth year of Bloomgren if they do not do well this year? And I don't know the answer to that. 70%? Uh, or sixty percent returning production is is okay. Seventy percent on defense is pretty good. I don't like this schedule. I don't like this team. Um, I've got them winning one game. I might could I might could see them winning another one somewhere. You know, maybe you get UTEP at home. Maybe, uh, but you don't get FIU this year. You don't get any of the easy ones. And and you play you know teams that you might be able to fare okay against. You play them on the road this year. This is not good. I've got them one at 11, um, but we'll see. We'll see what to make out of that. Let's go on and hit uh, a few more ads, and then we'll be right back. Let's take a break from the show for just a minute to give you some info on things you should know about. Follow the show on Twitter, at Winning Cures, or you can follow the guys at GaryWCE and at ChrisBGiannini, or you can also follow us on Facebook. If you want more content from me, Gary, visit BetUSTV.com. I host the How to Gamble on Sports Show and, from August through January, the BetUS College Football Show. You can subscribe to both on YouTube. Got your own podcast or web show? Looking to start one? Or you're just curious how we look and sound so good? Well, we've got all the gear that we use listed on our gear page on the website. If you order using our links, you'll be supporting the show, too. If you're interested in advertising on a show that reaches over 80,000 unique football fans per month during the season, send an email to Gary at winningcureseverything.com and we'll put together a plan that best fits you or your business. And now, back to the show. The Charlotte 49ers are officially on the clock here. And, whew, Will Healy, I like Will Healy a lot. We've talked about him on the show for multiple years now, dating back to when he was at Austin P. uh Going to bring them up on the screen. Went 5-7 and seven last year. Now, that's quite the uh, overachievement, I will say, because they went uh, 3.23 and 8.77 in postgame win expectancy last year. That should have been about 3-9. and nine. Uh, th- You won't find a bigger discrepancy between offense and defense than this bunch. You look at these guys... They did lose some guys, like some horses. Um, but, man, the offense was great, and the defense was abysmal. Number 36 in offensive PPA per drive and number 127 in defensive PPA per drive. Uh, there's not a bigger discrepancy anywhere in the country than that. you got to get better on defense, and you got to maintain that offense. And I, I would expect Healy to be able to do that uh, starting off on offense so long as Chris Reynolds stays healthy. Uh, this team is going to have a chance in pretty much every game. Uh, especially with those wide receivers. You got Tucker, you got Dubose, guys like that. Uh, There's a lot of returning snaps on the offensive line. Like, I like Bird, uh, the running back here. But, you know, at number 64 in rushing success rate, they could probably get a little bit better at that. That would certainly serve them a little bit better. Uh, Shadrick Bird is the running back there. As far as defense, uh, nearly anything is going to be better than last season. Number 45 in returning production here. That's 68%. But... The defensive roster strength, there's just not a lot of talent there. I mean, they're number 105 in the country as far as uh, roster strength goes. Um, The defensive end, Watts, is an absolute stud. I mean, just a stud. But uh, he can only do so much. You know, you you need the three transfers, that Sadiq, Monroe, and Jones, to show up in a big way this year. There's only 402 snaps returning at linebacker. Like, this is, this could get, they, they could look the exact same as they did. Uh, the offense, by the way, um, you know, they, they bring back 83% of the offense. These guys all know the system, and they were good in it last year. Um, keys to the season here. The defense has been the issue since Healy started. Their scoring defense last year was number 114. In 2020, it was number 88. And then in 2019, it was number 103. They brought in a new D.C., Greg Brown, who has been around the block for sure. I don't know if he can fix that but I'm sure he's going to give it a a new world with a new scheme and a new spin on it, but we'll see. you got to fix the turnover margin, number 102, and the penalties per game stat. They were number 84 in that spot. You cannot keep beating yourself here. Uh, On top of that, with such a good offense, maybe they should boost plays per game. I mean, they were number 90 in that spot last year. If you've got a great offense, maybe try and give them the ball more. But we'll see. Healy's been a star in the making since he was at Austin P. Like I said, I've been talking about him for a long, long time. Uh, but Charlotte did take a downturn last year. You know, can he reverse this slide? A- and if so, which I, I think that he will, uh, I kind of expect this much to go bowling this year. I- I've got him at 6-6. Six and six. You know, I've got, uh, I got wins over William & Mary, UTEP, uh, Rice, FIU, Western Kentucky, and Louisiana Tech. Like, the schedule does set up pretty well for them this year uh, as opposed to last year. But, whew, that's, uh, this team, if that defense doesn't get fixed, like, they are going to be in a whole world of hurt. Like, this, it, it's going to be bad. It it could really, really be bad. Um, we'll move on to Florida Atlantic. And they are next on the list. We've only got a couple more here. Willie Taggart, 5-7 and seven last year. Postgame win expectancy said they should have been a little bit better. Uh, 6-6 six and six roundabout. Maybe even could have been 7-5, and five. um, but again, they beat themselves, number 93 in penalties per game, 65 in turnover margin. We've got another new offensive coordinator here, and that's Brent Dearman. Uh We'll start off on the offense on this bunch. Uh, Brent Deerman was the MTSU offensive coordinator last year. He was at Kansas under Les Miles prior to that. You remember when Miles it got really close to beating Texas in I think his first year? He had fired his offensive coordinator after just a couple of games, and then they hung 48 on Texas. Yeah, this is the same guy. So, uh we'll see what what they can end up doing here. Nikosi Perry, he was inconsistent last year. He's the quarterback there, but now going into his second season, um you know, they got big play threats. They got the running back forward, they got wide receivers Burton and Wester. Uh you, the offensive line brings back four starting offensive linemen that look like they're they're pretty decently talented. Uh, same old questions here. Does experience matter for the players that weren't good last year? Um I don't know that. I, I just, who knows? Who knows? Um, on defense, Mike Stoops left. He was the defense coordinator last year. He joined his brother at Kentucky to be an offensive line, or sorry, an inside linebackers coach. Uh, the new defense coordinator is Todd Orlando. So big names, big names here, but mm, who knows? Uh, the defense, especially the run defense, is the reason the team was competitive last year. They were number 39 in rushing success rate allowed on defense. Uh, as far as like guys to watch out for, the nose tackle, Evan Anderson, 356 pounds. Like, watch that guy. And then watch the defensive end, Joiner. He is an absolute stud. Secondary's got multiple seniors. They were not as good as the run defense last year. Uh, they were number 60 in passing success rate allowed. And they allowed uh, the number 87 explosive play rate in the country. So that's definitely not good. Jones and Moultrie returned at linebacker. But the three power five transfers that they bring out, they, they could get snaps. They could certainly get snaps. The keys to the season, they should have won more than they did last year. We know that much. Uh, on top of that, Willie Taggart has to find a way to improve this offense. Like, you got to score points to win games. And that's the bottom line. Doesn't matter how good the defense is. Being aggressive can certainly lead to penalties, uh, but you got to clean it up. I mean, number 93 in penalties per game is not good. Uh, if your turnover margin isn't going to be top 40, you definitely. Need the penalties cleaned up? Can a new coaching staff unlock more potential and limit errors? That is the question. That is a key to the season here. I think they're going to be better than they were last year. I think the schedule sets up a little bit easier for them. I've got them going seven and five. I, I like I like Florida. Uh, excuse me, Florida Atlantic this year. Uh, FAU looks like they could be headed in the right direction. Willie Taggart sometimes can take a little while to get the ball rolling, and it looks like Boca Raton is going to give him time to get this thing done. So, move from 5-7 and seven last year up to 7-5 and five this year. Who knows what the next year could bring if they return all of these guys. Finally, our last preview for the day, and we will move on to the UTEP Miners. Not a team that typically we would spend a lot of time talking about, but my goodness, last year uh, we spent a lot of time talking about them. Dana Demel took them bowling last year. Uh... Went 7-6 and six, or 6-7. Six and seven, I don't remember. Either one, I've got it 7-6. and six. I, might have, I might have put that down wrong. Postgame win expectancy last year, 7.69 and 4.31. So closer to eight wins as opposed to just seven. Uh, they did lose the bowl game. So there you go. Returning production is number 28 in the country here. That's definitely a good thing. However, they lose their biggest playmaker in Jacob Cowing. He transferred to Arizona. He's the wide receiver. Uh, looking at the offense here. Gavin Hardison is back uh, along with the wide receivers Tyron Smith and Ronaldo Flores. Uh, can they remain explosive without the wide receivers Garrett and Cowing? you would think, you know, they're at least going to try. But I don't know. Those guys were those guys were studs. The running back Ronald Awatt returns along with four offensive linemen with a lot of experience. Risking success rate was number 127, though. You got to find consistency across the board here. They were number two in explosive play rate on offense last year you got to be better than number 70 in PPA per drive. Uh, the defense is what held them up. They The defense was really, really good early part of last year. But, man, that schedule went bananas on them late. Uh, they averaged giving up 5.88 yards per play in the last five games of the season. They were more than five yards per play allowed in every single game in that stretch. They were number 25 in PPA per drive, though, and that shows you how good they were to start off the year. They got five defensive backs with 200-plus snaps returning, along with five defensive linemen with 300-plus snaps, but only two linebackers uh, are coming back. They Now, those those two linebackers, 799 snaps and 810 snaps. They returned four different players that had over 10 tackles for loss last year. They were not great against explosive offenses, but you, you don't find a lot of those on the schedule this year. So that's definitely good. Uh, keys for the season? like Look, they went 7-0 against teams that... Uh, ranked 99th or worse in SB Plus, 0 and 6 against anyone better in 2021. Um, they're returning 15 starters, and the schedule is forgiving here. The team went bowling, even with the number 123 turnover margin and number 124 in penalties per game. You got to fix that. You can't beat yourself here. I like this team. I think they're okay. I've got them at six and six. Uh, I think they, you know, I think they're going bowling again. I think Dana Demel has built a pretty good culture here. Like I really, really like this team. So, with that said, uh, you know, less than 45 minutes here. We are going to get out of here. Uh, hopefully, Chris is, uh, is better come next week. But we'll see. We'll see. It may just be me again. And hopefully, you guys will continue to stick around for me. With that said, you guys take care of yourself. Take care of each other. And hopefully, hopefully, all of you tickets cash this week.